Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Stop it. Stop. Okay. I've heard right, of right. two people that died this week. This shit is going on in every neighborhood, in every state, in every part of the United States, in every economic background. So here's what happened. Like, I was always a middleman drug dealer. People thought I was a drug dealer, but I really wasn't. I just got money from Courtney, and then I'd go get drugs and then bring it back. That, that really isn't a drug dealer. That's kind of a go-getter, That's right? Kind of I was let, a go-getter. Let's, let's put I'm our a, money together. together. We can get so much more if we put our money together. No, no, no. I had no money to put in. Oh. No, 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 Chuck. You're, you're down there in Huntington. This is Beverly Hills, Chuck. <laughs> they put up the money. I go get it, and I come back. It's called a go-getter. That's you were called the, a I runner. A, I like go-getter. Go-getter sounds good. Go-getter. You're a real go-getter, Bobby. Oh, yeah. real go-getter. Yeah, go get that so, shit, Bobby. You're a real so go-getter. That's what kids, they were saying. All these kids get held accountable for like this horrible situation we have in this country. The Mac Miller kid was only 26 years old. He was just a drug addict. He he got like 10 or 14 years. I, I thought prison, it was more than that. Right? I thought. Uh, no, the yeah. dealer that they rolled over on, the producer of it, which traced back to New Mexico, those people got in trouble. But the kid who actually brought the drugs to Mac Miller's house got like 14 huh. years, I think. So, and this, and this De Niro thing is so fucking sad. It's like a friend of his from school, 20 year old girl, the yeah, Gen no. Zers, <laughs> the Gen Zers just don't understand that a text message is as good as a signed affidavit. Oh, I see. Just get it notarized and it'd be legal. Right. No, friend. So all don't even so need a notarization. They don't even say. <laughs> Like trick words about it. You got to read it. It's so sad. I just can't imagine what Robert De Niro is going through. Like, but, but, but the sad. text message, they don't even disguise the drug. It, the, she texts, yeah, there's, I think there's fentanyl in this volume. I think there's <laughs> fentanyl in this volume. Now, let's flash back no. to me and Mike in the 1986. How would we have said that, Mike, though there was no uh, text messaging? How would you have said, hey, be careful? Like, hey, uh, watch out. What would I say? Yeah. Like, hey, if I handed somebody drugs, I would say, hey, watch out. It's really there, fucking... There's some juice in them pills, man. <laughs> <laughs> they easy. don't even Go disguise easy. it. They type out F-E-N-T-I-Y, like, however you spell fentanyl. They probably spell check it to make sure the person knows. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, fentanyl. did they get they shot the google page for fentanyl it looks like and this so the, <laughs> so the kid dies but the girl's still no. got pills left two days later she sells them to a friend and she says be careful because this is the stuff that i gave so and so like that's is not very obviously smart do not understand that drugs are illegal chuck <laughs> and that when people die dumb. you might be able you might be held accountable yeah 
That's why would you, if you had six or eight pills left of something your friend died from, why wouldn't you just either take them and try to die yourself or throw them oh, away and flush them down the toilet? Are you suggesting? Live your life in guilt and shame and then <laughs> flush no, them down the toilet. No, that happened. No, you don't know at you Lily's. Would, but, but what I'm saying is you'd carry, you would carry that with you psychologically. That would affect you the rest of your life. If you were a normal. This is two days later, Mike. She sells the same batch I'm, of drugs to I'm somebody else. I'm saying that that is Be not, careful. That is this not is normal. what so-and-so died of. That's not normal. That's sociopathic. Uh, no, it's not. That's Gen Zers and millennials, Mike. I'm telling you. Listen, there was a few drug dealers back in the day, and I'll, I'll say Maria would would have done that too. She would have. Yeah, not Maria would have stepped she right over you. She did not care. Earache too. Earache. So the first time me and Anthony and Flea and Pete did drugs, and we didn't just go get it from Earache and go home to my house, which is literally three blocks away. But we were getting so, you know, on desperate or whatever, progressive or however you drug counselors say, Chuck, whatever you call it. We had progressed in our disease to the point where we couldn't wait the three blocks to walk back to Lilienda. So we asked, I asked Eric Earthquake, many names, Eric was his real name, um, if we could do it here at his like rehearsal space spot. Uh, and he goes he goes sure but if you go out i'm not i'm not resuscitating you i'm putting you in a shopping cart and rolling mm -hmm. you up to hollywood boulevard right so that was pretty straight up that was pretty honest and i told you like you're six months later or something a year later the original manager of black flag daphne i think her name was was found in a shopping cart up on hollywood boulevard and i thought yikes uh -oh. yikes. <laughs> was yikes. that was mary from long beach mary maria i'm sorry was maria, maria, was no, not maria, maria was from she was LA. from another planet she was tough i i remember when the riots happened her and brian remember brian her boyfriend yeah yeah brian I see Brian at Scott Morrow's house. Like all these people must be. I'm the only way Maria and Brian can be alive is if they're sober. They were right off of Western and Normandy. They went, yeah. They went yeah, and they started. Went looting. into the Rite Aid and they stole all that. He came out with like two of those big bindles the first night of the riots of all the pills in the pharmacy. Then the next day I went back there. There wasn't much. There, you know, it had been ransacked. But and then I tried to go to different pharmacies. Because I had heard that from Matt Dyke that they did that. And then Matt Dyke bought it all from them and got a PDR and was going through it trying to find out what drugs were which. But uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. But so then that's day one, day two, day three <clears throat> of the riots, right? And people forget, yeah, there was real rioting for like four days, but there was National Guard for like a month. And so dope got really scarce, like especially MacArthur Park, Hollywood. Dope got really scarce. He had to go where? out to the north valley to like i forget where like i i know because uh i drove there but it's way out in the valley i don't know the valley that well but it was well beyond burbank boulevard which is about as far valley as i go but to get dope you had to go way out in the valley and and i even went to santa Ana once i was just gonna say you so, should have just been in orange county there was not a problem yeah 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 there was no riding <laughs> going on in orange county 
So, but I see Brian at Scott Morrow's house and everybody's desperate for dope because you're dope sick and you only got 20 bucks and you can't find anything. You keep going from one dealer to one go-getter to the next. And I see Brian walking in as I'm walking out of Scott Morrow's, you know, like compound area. And we stopped and chatted for a second. And Brian goes, man, when this thing first happened, I thought it was the greatest thing that ever fucking happened, meaning the riots, right? <laughs> and then he goes, but now it just fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that encapsulated dope in, in the riots. Like, it just no, It sucked. was great for a few days. because <laughs> It was awesome. It was the best. <laughs> And then it just sucked for a long time because you couldn't go after dark, wasn't it, Mike? You couldn't go, you couldn't drive a car after there dark, was a curfew. Like, especially there down was a like where, you, yeah, you, you had you couldn't drive in the good parts of town, which are the bad parts of town. They had MacArthur Park, they had tanks at MacArthur Park and Wilshire Boulevard. And one time I was going west. And you couldn't go down. Melrose was stopped at La Cienega, and I was cutting down side streets. So I get to Wilshire and La Cienega, where the Hustler Magazine building is, uh, kind of famous for the Hustler Magazine building because it's all like Beverly Hills buildings, and it just says Hustler Magazine. Um, Larry was and so And there great. were literally <laughs> like four tanks in the road and an army platoon all the way uh, up and down La Cienega and Wilshire. And what I realized, thinking back on it months later, Pete Weiss really filled me in. Like, they put a perimeter perimeter around Beverly Hills. They didn't give a fuck about the rest of the city. But somebody said, we need the Army, like, La Cienega to Sunset, Wilshire to the ocean. Like, that was, like, that was cordoned off. You could not get through there. No. I wish I had seen, I wish, I, you know, they didn't do aerial photos of that at the time. <laughs> it was weird. Cause there was, yeah. I realized even me, I realized like, there's no alley you're going to get down that there's not national guard at. And they had their helmets on and everything. They had guns. It was crazy. So getting back to the Janeiro thing. So this girl says, you know, be careful, be careful. Same thing that the kid from Temecula or whatever that got Mac Miller's drugs texted his friend the next morning. I think I'm in trouble. Did you hear what happened to Mac? I think I'm in trouble. Like, all you need is that. And the cops say, why, why would you think you were in trouble? What, what were you right. in trouble about? What is what, what did that mean? So it's just sad, though, because to me, they're just go-getters. They're just the in-between people. And the people that are producing this are, are so anonymous, right? Well, and I the mean, people they're getting it for are asking for it well yeah you know I, yeah I you know no that. one's going up and going hey hey take this you know but but it's well, you also have enough, i don't have enough frontline experience i literally only do marketing now so so when somebody comes in all addicted to fentanyl if they do heroin they can't even feel it right chuck that must be the tolerance if it's uh how many more times mike more powerful than heroin yeah but you do so much less too you do a lot less, but yeah, no, heroin doesn't touch it, according to them. I, I don't know. What's the deal? I thought fentanyl wears off quicker, and people that use re that use heroin said it was it was better and it was lasted longer, and you wouldn't you know, get sick I just, as fast. I, 
I had a heroin is better or fentanyl. Wait, wait, wait. I'm confused. Heroin is better. From my understanding was that heroin lasted longer. You wouldn't get sick as fast. Fentanyl wears off quicker. You get sick. You got to do it a couple of times a day. You know, it's like a fucking well, thing. more more than more than a couple times a day from what I've I've understood. But you're you, you've hit on the the points. The selling points or the not selling points are it's got no legs. It's only got about twenty minutes to thirty minutes of the euphoric feel. Oh man! And then twenty and then, to thirty minutes—that's it. And then about Shit, like, the people that are coming in now, because I've got them from a different part of the country. It's about every three hours you need to do it again. So I know cheaper, that when I was though, doing right? heroin, it was just a couple way, times wait, a day. Wait, wait, it's got to be way cheaper. It's not twenty bucks then. No, it's cheaper. Yeah, of no, no. You you can uh, a bad habit, a, a really bad habit is is because you're only doing a point or two at a time. Right. How, so much, how much is 60, how much is 80 this? bucks a day at oh on, the, my god. on the high end that would be just to wake up for me oh my god yeah see that's the difference is that it's like when when they go when someone comes in and they're talking about they're doing grams of it in a day they're getting such a low fentanyl count i have such a history with drugs like i just remember glorious all the rehabs told me eventually someday you won't feel it and I was like, you bull fucking shit. You shoot a speedball. You're going to feel it. And I got to that point on this last run in 95 going into 96. Like I would, I would always think I missed and I, and I didn't miss because there's no, no, I didn't, I, I didn't miss. So then you start questioning the dope, right? right. You got it. Like I didn't miss, like nothing happens. You get a little bit of something coke in your throat for a second and then like nothing. And then you go and talk to the guys and you go, that shit was no good. And they yeah. go, oh man, you're on, you're on. You're just not feeling it. <laughs> they go, dude, you're on. Man. Dude, I was living <laughs> in the motel. Every time I drive by there, I get uh, kind of haunted by it. There's an international motel on Sunset just west of, of uh, uh, La Brea. Or no, just west of Highland. Just east of Highland. Right by Chick-fil-A. There's Chick-fil-A, Rite Aid, then there's like a rundown old motor in that's all boarded up, and then there's the International Motel. I lived in there for like, I was there for Christmas of 95. I remember that Johnny Navarro came by and gave me a Christmas card with money in it, I think. He was such a good sponsor. He was one of the best sponsors ever. He's a kind soul. Johnny, he, I mean, he's alive, but but I mean, when I think about like how nice people were, people that were nice to me were like Craig Owens was nice to me. Um, uh, obviously, Gloria and Buddy were nice to me. But Johnny Navarro, David Navarro, Anthony was nice to me. Anthony was always thoughtful. He never gave me money like the rest of them did, but he was nice to me. But I just remember... Like, I don't remember the people that weren't nice to me. Right. You know what I mean? When I was at the bottom, bottom, like crawling on Sunset Boulevard, trying to reach up to suck somebody off for $5, that, that people were still kind to me and respectful to me, right? That matters. It matters. It matters how you treat people, AA people. It <laughs> fucking matters. Yep. Right. And then Johnny Navarro came by. I remember it was either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and I was suicidal and I was just so bummed out. Just like no hope. And well, it sounds like by. you're not done. You should. 
get out there and get high if you're not happy to be sober. <laughs> he was not that. He was not that. <laughs> no, but I've heard I've I've heard that shit and I know it makes me mad. Yeah, when you're like I guess you could say that, but you say it to these kids who aren't even beginning yet and then they die and then you feel bad. Like I've said mm-hmm. some unkind things because it because it's not they're not in the they're not in the place that I was and the place that a lot of my clients have been where it's just, you, you just feel like if you push them over, they'll die. Well, Bob, think, think about what you just said. Like when I first got sober the first time people were telling me shit that I hadn't experienced yet. And I thought they were full of shit. Same way you thought Gloria was full of shit. When you said someday you're not, she said, you're not going to feel it someday. And you were like, yeah, yeah I'm just right. like, you, right? you never so did coke. Every- I, my thing was you never put coke in it, obviously. Right. But then, so it's like all these things we're telling these kids, they haven't experienced yet because they haven't but used not for long enough. To. They're not going to. No, they're, they're not going to get gonna the die chance. before they do. So the, so that's, then the tactic the has to AA change. Or AA or rehabs or, or the collective good of the consciousness. You have to start thinking. These kids are 20. I think De Niro's grandson was 19. The girl was 20. Their lives are, the one kid's life is over and the other kid's life is ruined. And they hadn't even begun to take drugs yet. No, they just, they just started. That. They haven't, they haven't been homeless. They haven't gone to jail. They haven't been, they haven't felt that uh, utter. God, and just think of the accomplishments you could make with De Niro's name and his connections, and, and you know. Geez. Well, that's the point. That, that's the point Bob was making, like you know, seven, eight years ago. Is that? Yeah, we hear about the famous people, but how many people never got the chance to even become because they died before they had the well, opportunity? Well, when I went to West, Virginia, I mean, you know, we hear about the Kurt Cobains and the West people. Virginia, but- I talked to a bunch of kids that were in rehab or just out, or I don't know where I was, but but um that's where the one kid told me my life doesn't get better sober. He'd already been in rehab a bunch of times. And I was like, yeah, my, my life always got better sober. It always. So, so, but that meant I had a quality of life that I had established that with my compete and the band and making, you know, making music, I had a life. And drugs started to take that life away. And then when I would get sober, I would realize, oh, my God, I've got so much to be grateful for. These kids don't have anything. They've never had their own apartment. They've never owned their own car. They've never had a job, really. So, yeah, sobriety is not going to be much different than well, No, but, you know but, what I mean? but it's, uh, it's not nearly as fun when it wasn't that bad out there. If the only difference is we took away the drug. You know, which was the only thing that they had, really. right? I mean, and that was the thing that that gave them status. How many people have you talked to in treatment where they go out there? I was the man, and that's a, they just well, they, had a few customers. Well, you know what I mean? That, but I've had uh, good conversations with with people about the purpose, right? So, purpose is an important forgotten word in our society. What is the purpose? And everything has been replaced by like numbers numbers aren't a purpose numbers aren't a purpose i'm going to say that again i think i invented it just now numbers are not a purpose meaning how much money you have or how many streaming numbers you have or how many followers you have those are not purposes right? oh dude, that's a t-shirt so let's get on this numbers are not a purpose numbers aren't a purpose 
And I, I'm telling you, I'm back in the music business. Is all people talk about is numbers. They don't talk about songs. They don't talk about themes to albums. I heard this morning this greatest idea. This producer in, in New York was talking to this friend of mine about, well, what, what is the theme of the album? Do you know how long it's been since I've heard somebody talk about a theme of an album? What is the person trying to say? Where, where are they at in their lives? Do you think like Cardi B's thing? about shit like that <laughs> yeah you know what i mean when when the stones made the greatest rock and roll record ever made exile on main street they were living in <laughs> exile and the whole album is about being on the run being away you know being disenfranchised only having faith in each other and rock and roll Right, it's got the greatest lyrics of all time. The sunshine bores the daylights out of me. Greatest line ever written in rock and roll. Wap ba ba bop bam boom, and the sunshine bores the daylights <laughs> out of me. Two greatest lines in rock and roll. So, so, so there there were themes albums. You know, like when Led Zeppelin made Physical Graffiti. I remember when I got it when it came out. It's just like whoa, this is fucking heavy. This is like other yeah, you know, level. I didn't understand <laughs> you know that when I, mean? I first heard Freddie Mercury talk about that, where he said, well, you can't take the song out of context of the album. And I thought, this guy's just pompous. But then you look at it as a, as a work, and then I look back, and the Beatles had done that. <clears throat> you know? Beatles did it, for sure. Yeah, Brian I mean, Wilson did you're it. Right, Everybody did it. And it just stopped with rap music. Like, rap music, just it has no purpose. It has no... It's just like clever sayings like i guess kanye tried to have theme albums he had one about his mom he had one about love but but yeah and just the, how refreshing it is to talk about purpose what is the purpose of this record rick rubin talks about it, i know yeah, i've seen him talk about it. like what's why why you want to make a record what what is what's the theme like what's the purpose of it like you know prince had like what is the purpose of it right yeah. His nephew died, and he said, I'm going to make a record about this, what's going on right now, sign of the times. Right? Mm. And that that is like a, that's like a snapshot. A lot of that record is weak, but the fucking songs that are great are just magnificent. How about Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? Oh, albums yeah. used to mean something, and now they don't mean anything. They're not oh, even an album. Albums. An album is of of ideas or photos or something. It's, it's uh, the idea is is that there's some coherence. How do people feel, feel so passionately but, about nothingness. You know, you know, you know what I mean. Like they're so passionate about nothing. At Beyonce, Lemonade. That's about like my husband cheated on me, and I'm not going to divorce him, but I'm going to fucking beat his ass and embarrass him and my sister's <laughs> gonna punch him and my sister's <laughs> gonna punch him <laughs> no lemonade has a real purpose that album so purpose in albums in art in life and you know if you don't have a purpose numbers aren't a purpose how much money you have is not a purpose how much how popular <laughs> you are is right. not a purpose how many and, cars and, yeah. It's just so weird that we become a society that just like, oh yeah, numbers are purpose. No, it's not. It's <laughs> idiocracy. And then, you know, and the, and even when they were giving away free money, I heard like everybody trying to outdo each other. Elijah got some money, and then my friend James got some money, and then I heard this friend of mine's 
ex-girlfriend got 20 grand. I was like, where, where do you sign up for this? And then I was like, that's not my purpose. My purpose is not to act pathetic. So the government gives me $20,000 because I lie in some paperwork. That's not my purpose. <laughs> yeah. But right. it is some people's purpose. <laughs> right. Why? Right. Well, you know it, what I mean? it's all about, I don't know. I mean, you, you saw it just like I did with, with the kids where it was about, what do they do? What do they do with the money they bought? They gambled. Brand. The girl they bought, that got the 20 grand gambled. They but and they also bought brand things. Like, look at me. I can afford this belt, this shirt, these shoes. Well, that's they, because their insurance were paying for their uh housing. But um, so so getting back to purpose, our primary purpose is to stay sober and to help another alcoholic to achieve sobriety, correct? Yes. Well, that equation has changed, and I don't know. I know, I know my friends who, who still want to help, they just send all these complicated things my way. Like it's so complicated and mesh moms with their kids and mesh. Like, you know, it's not like the old, it's not like we would, everybody has to update what that sentence or what that, that thing means to them. Cause the primary purpose means you have to be hip to what's going on. You can't just be primary purpose to 1999. It has to be <laughs> primary purpose to now if you really want to help. And one of the things is more people talking about how do you talk to these 20-year-old kids that aren't even drug addicts yet? They're not even drug addicts and they're dying. How, right. you know, because I've been focusing on it for 10 years. I still don't have a clue of what to say. Have you heard of a band called Suicide Boys? They're a rap act. Uh, yeah, I think a long time ago. They've been around well, a long time, right? But the, uh, I don't know, this this girl that is in right now, she goes, man, every time I listen to that and I hear that beat, I just want to take Zannies. And I go, <laughs> well, then, 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 then why are you listening to it? And she goes, because they just got saved and this new record is Christian, but it's all got the Zanny beat and it still triggers me. And I said, stop listening to it. Or or, uh, or deal uh, with it. Suck it up. Uh, was Jesus so against Zanny bars? I think he was pro Zannies, wasn't he? Pro Zach? I don't. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't no, know. No, pro. Was Jesus like? Well, here's my thing about Jesus and drugs and alcohol, and I know I'm going to get crucified, not literally, but well, but so <laughs> you got to go with the crucifixion. The mound, <laughs> in Sermon on the Mount, what happens? What happens after they they have the Last Supper? What happens? They all get drunk. Who doesn't pass out? Jesus. Because meth? No, because he knows how to <laughs> fucking drink. <laughs> yeah, I don't get he's it. What's like, that he's like Mike Martin. Mike Martin can drink a fucking fifth of Everclear, and he's still going like the Everetti Bunny. Yeah. I'm so you're you, more Jesus like Jesus was like Mike Mart. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Oh no, Come there on. we go. He, they mark got that. Drunk. That's the clip. They got drunk and all of them passed out. They were supposed to protect him. They all passed out. There's and a difference. What? I had purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Who were you, you know, protecting? Steve O? <laughs> uh, my purpose was to just stay upright and drink as much and be as high and party as much as we possibly could. And that was my purpose. I've seen you stay up all night just drinking and not do meth or coke. 
You yeah. had a you had not a, wait a minute, not give you any meth or coke. Oh, did you have meth uh, or coke? Did you have it and you didn't? Well, give I don't me know. Any? You know, people would give you stuff, sure. Oh, okay. You through know. a night. Yeah, through a night, maybe. You know, you know what the the whole thing about disgrace line, because that's what I remember. I remember seeing Mike Mardak disgrace line many times before he was ever in the band, right? And I was just in awe and fear. Right. Is that a thing? Like frightened and arrogant? Awe and fear? Awe and fear. I was in awe and fear. And Uh, like Iris didn't do drugs, really. Maybe she did it in the back. But No, Iris did plenty of drugs. Mark Rude did plenty of drugs. We're all intravenous (laughs) drug users, except Pleasant. Pleasant, Pleasant never got into it and never. But when I would go, there'd be like Levi, Pleasant. They weren't drug addicts. Uh, no, no, Levi and, and and they were not. But Iris, me, uh, Clam, anybody that rolled through there was, you know, looking to get high with needles, basically. But I don't remember a lot of drugs. And it all, a lot of it happened back in Iris's room, not in Pleasant. Right, right. I never went back there. I just like the living room. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the back, living room. back in Iris so, room was where it was at man so I went I, I went to I went to sit on a, she, she's obsessed with Hollywood so uh, I don't know why because she was born in Hollywood or something um, so we went to the Hollywood Bowl to see Sparks and they might be giants but beforehand I gave her Bobby Forrest tour of Hollywood oh nice oh. I showed her where I I showed her you know, where uh, on Fountain and Gardner, where Thelonious Monster, where we wrote Sammy Hager Weekend, all those songs. Yeah. And I showed her Gaza X's house, Top Jimmy's house. I gave her a whole tour. I showed her where I met Matt Dyke and John Seidel um, at the 7 Eleven by Rodney Bingenheimer's. I showed her Matt Dyke's house where Jean Michel first stayed in LA. Um, I showed her Toy on Sunset um what else did i show her like um oh johnny depp's house behind the source restaurant source restaurant now which there. now now which house of gaze x's did you show him the one on fountain lived- on fountain the one where he put the wire up his penis oh yeah and he lived by oh. next door <laughs> he lived he oh, lived i knew next- that would get a i knew that would get a rise out of somebody i didn't know it was only on the show he lived he lived <laughs> right next door to Sosi hublets right yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so she was there. in the next apartment. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so Mike, tell the story of Gaza because I wasn't there. But this legendary. I also shot heroin with Don Bowles, nineteen eighty-two, in the white van, the forty-five gray van, parked in front of Gaza's house. Well, right Gaza, there Tom, I never saw any of this stuff, but um. I heard about the wire thing. And then I also heard, I mean, he shares about, he used to share about it in meetings. Uh, you know, very pleasurable, have, Chuck, I, would, Chuck, Chuck, it's very pleasurable. <laughs> if you are, have reached a certain Nirvana with methamphetamine, if you've wow. reached a certain place of Nirvana, that was just the like last thing I thought be. about. I had never thought about, I've never been all smoked out <laughs> looking for people in the trees and gone. Here's the thing. Geza was so into, into uh meth that, you know, the mind gets psychotic and you start right. sticking shit like really in weird places and you get into very weird fetishes like beyond psychosis. sex with dogs and stuff like that. It was crazy. So, so Did the dogs he, consent. Yeah. And did he I produce, think. did he, 
did he produce the first germ single? Uh, I, I think so. I think forming, so. Yeah. Right? Forming, and, forming and yeah. round and round or something. So, so I believe that, that Paul Cutler and Dinah Cantor lived in that, in that little place too on Fountain. Cause why was oh, Don Bowles always there? Don Bowles was always there. Yeah. Cause drugs. So, well, drugs is a good reason too. <laughs> and then, and then we went by EMI, which is up Top Jimmy Street. Top Jimmy lived at 1303. Chuck, I know the address of the first house I shot heroin in. 1303 North Orange Drive. It is Top Jimmy's house right at the corner of Fountain and Orange. But they should put a plaque up. They should put up they a landmark should, a historic historical plaque. Marker. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, just, yes. I, I would, would go take pictures by it. Yeah, that 1303. And and so, but you go one block up and it used to be EMI Records, which it's now a, a, a cut brand, like a shoe store. You, it's a whole city block. It used to be EMI Records with a huge parking lot behind it. And now it's a shoe store, like a, a you know, a discount shoe store, shoe outlet. And the chili peppers now, and I was telling Sid the story because she loves chili peppers and she loves Anthony. Is like she always says, is Anthony, my uncle. And I was like, kind of, not really, but yeah. And so, because he's always so kind to her. Anyways, uh, so I say, this is where Anthony and Flea did one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of. And that's coming from me, Sid. And I was pretty dumb, too. I did a lot of dumb things, too. And she goes, what? And I go, there was a big board meeting of EMI Records executives. And Anthony and Flea were disappointed in how EMI had treated the first two albums. So they thought it would be a good idea to get completely naked and run into the board meeting and stand on the table and wag their penises in the faces of the executives. Somehow that that would make them go, oh, my God, we've got to break this band. Yeah, no, wagging <laughs> your front tail doesn't do a lot to impress people. <laughs> I mean, how, you know, how, how? How that and they told afterwards, yeah, we streaked through and we disrupted the and even me, as out of my mind as I was, I was like, How is that gonna help your situation? That doesn't seem like yeah. here's what would help your situation. When your record comes out and you go on K Rock for your big interview for the new album, talk shit about your record company. That's what I did. Yeah. That's way better. Yeah. That's <laughs> how <laughs> not to succeed in music one oh one. Would you please write that book? Because oh, yeah. the self sabotage oh. on your music career has been because legendary. You're, because you're an expert, Bob. I <laughs> Rob, think, I Rob, think Graves, Rob Graves was with me there at that K Rock interview, cheering me on. He thought it was funny. Because <laughs> when somebody, here's the thing when you're talking shit and somebody's there laughing, Chuck, it just it just adds fuel to my fire. Yeah, oh, I know. Exactly. Oh, right? I know. Yeah. yeah. If I somebody would have just said "shut up, Bob," it would. I would have probably said "shut up," but I was getting laughed on, cheered on. That's that's right. The that was the job the of the A and R. That was the job of the A and R guy that wasn't there. Yeah, he was back at the at the tower, making sure that the radio station was piped through the tower. I'm serious, Bob. You've got a book. The AR guy's name was, or the person who dealt with radio or something, was Rob Gordon. He's one of the sweetest, nicest guys ever. Yeah. And he was at Relativity, Chuck. And I think he left Relativity, was our label for two albums. 
I think he left relativity to get away from us and then we and went to capital and then we end up on capital and they go, oh my God, you worked with Thelonious before. You can work with him now. And uh, I remember <laughs> the first time I walked in and he was just like, you're not going to steal anything, are you? And I was like, no, I'm not here to steal anything. No, we've learned our lesson. <laughs> and then he had the coolest, uh, like, I forget what album it was. He had like the coolest Beatles, like poster box set thing. And I said, well, that, I'm not going to steal it, but like, can I have that? <laughs> <laughs> can I have that? I really the like greatest- that. We always look for stuff that we could have when we went over to record label. It was always. like, well, we I would, would listen come to away it with too. boxes of, of CDs boxes and records. Of CDs. The, and when I was on RCA, they had Columbia, they had a uh, Blue Note, I think, and they had all these jazz box Ooh. sets, and I just kept getting them all. And I would listen, and this was my ebb and flow with drugs, Chuck. So I would. Go to rehab. I think Mike says it in the documentary. I'd go to rehab. I'd be clean for like three or four months. And then I accumulate all these CDs because I was in good mood and I was healthy and they could tell. And so they didn't, they trusted me and they gave me the CDs. And eventually in the back of my mind, I was like, I got so much shit to roll with right now. (laughs) It's like unbelievable. (laughs) Like I'd have, I don't need that record deal. Hundreds of CDs (laughs) just piled up. And then Mark Cates, who I see now and talk to every day, was an A&R guy at Geffen. And Use Your Illusion was just coming out. And everybody was talking about it. And it was going to be released on midnight and blah, blah, blah. And I got Mark to give me a vinyl copy of it. And he didn't want to. And he said, you're just going to sell it. And I said, I promise you, I'm not selling it. (laughs) I promise you. But what I did was I went around to Renee's and the other record label on Melrose, the other record store on Melrose. There was Renee's, Aaron's. Yeah, Renee's and Aaron's were right on the same block on Melrose. And And they gave me $20 to let them play the record in the record store. Really? I just sat there and listened to it. Yeah, I made 40 bucks just from like having the record and letting them was play. Was Vinyl the Fetish still there at that time? That was way down the street. This is more by yeah. Fairfax High School. But um, but yeah, and then I eventually sold it. Yeah, but it, but I didn't sell it that <laughs> so I didn't right. sell it that day. You rented it. <laughs> I rented it out. I milked it. You Airbnb that you didn't sell it. <laughs> I did because I thought, you know, I said, "How much would you pay to to play the entire Use Your Illusion in here?" This is like four days before it came out, and the one guy at Renee's said, "I'll give you twenty bucks," and I said, "Okay, here it is." And then I sat in there and had twenty bucks and whatever, and then they played it, and then I, when they were done with the first uh, two sides, like one and two. I took that vinyl and I went over to Aaron's. I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going around letting you listen to use your illusion in the stores. Uh, it's 20 bucks. And the guy goes, okay, I'll give you 20 bucks. So then I give the first album to Aaron, to Aaron's and they're playing it. I go back to Renee's. It finishes up. I go over there, give it to them. And then I think I tried it at a couple other record stores and they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? I was like, 20 bucks. You can play use your illusion for your customers. And they were like, uh, no, thank you. Please get out of our store, Bob. <laughs> well, you know, but we're also talking about gas was like a buck a gallon back there. That was more, that was like a tank and a half of gas. Right, so that's right. like 20 bucks 60 is, to 60, 70 well, dollars. I don't equate it to gasoline so much as drugs. I could get a half pint, <laughs> I could get a half pint of schnapps, I could get a $10 Ugh. rock, and I could get a 
you know, a little bit of dope if I had three more dollars. So and you need some I could cigarettes. Get heroin, cocaine, and alcohol for that twenty dollars. You know, the price of cheap wine hasn't really fluctuated that much. No, it's, it's still, like a dollar. I see it. It's I see still it. the same. You can still get high off a fucking bottle of cheap wine for a couple of bucks. Just I like know. back in for for twenty years, it's been like that. Right. I, I was at. I was what a at great a concept. I think some of the stores have stopped selling hard liquor or something. I know a lot of them have stopped selling cigarettes. But I remember oh, yeah. maybe five, ten years ago being at a store buying nicotine gum and they had the hard liquor behind. And a little half pint of peppermint schnapps was like seven fifty-nine. I was like, for for a half pint of schnapps is seven fifty-nine? And it, it had gone up like four dollars. Yeah, but cheap that wine is still a couple of bucks. Right. Right. And well, Trader and Joe's and, and really cough syrup from the ninety nine cent store is still ninety-nine cents. <laughs> Man, I love cheap wine. <laughs> Mad Dog 2020. Mad Dog 2020. Uh, Thunderbird, Wild, Night Train. Wild Irish Rose. That was a good one, too, man. That Wild Irish Rose. Yeah, it gave me diarrhea, though. Really? Well, Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> Everything gave you yeah. diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know? How do you know yeah. what it was? It wasn't just <laughs> a wine, Bob. It was, it was cheeseburgers. Okay, it was no, wine. I, it was heroin. Uh, you just shit point. all over the place. Well, I was just obsessed. I think I had an eating disorder, Chuck, back in the day. Because uh, <laughs> as these skinnier guys came along, remember remember, um, oh, Bernie from, uh, 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 what was the band's name with Gore? What was that band? What was the band, Mike? Bernie Bernstein was the singer of it. The, Little Kings. Uh, Little, Little Kings. Kings. And I, I remember being over at Bernie's house. He lived at the Malaga Castle and he had a, a wife beater on and he was so skinny. And I was like, I need to get that skinny. That looks rad. <laughs> that looks rad. And so then I just went, uh, and that's as I was having an economic downturn. So it was an economic downturn and then the obsession to be as skinny as Bernie. So I would yeah. only have two Jack in the Box tacos for 99 cents. And and peppermint schnapps and heroin and coke. That's all you yeah, really need. Your movements are, are legendary, man. They're legend. <laughs> I, I, would, I was 212 at one point. I got down to 135. That's a big swing, isn't it, Chuck? <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty good. Is that, does that qualify you for an eating disorder? You were bigger than 212, Bobby. You were like 240 at one time. Oh, maybe, but I just didn't want to measure myself. But I remember <laughs> hitting, when I went over 200, it was to 212, and I started crying. I was like, I got to kill myself. This is awful. Yeah, that's so, a good solution. So, But isn't that qualify you for an eating disorder, Chuck? If over a three-year period of time you go from 212 to 138 or something no, i don't I, by to, not by today's I, I, don't not? I don't know that losing weight it depends on how you did it right i think you'd you'd hit your substance you, use disorder tacos heroin cocaine and peppermint schnapps. right it's it's the heroin cocaine and schnapps that, that kind of disqualify you because it, you know it's more about the intention for the eating disorder well the schnapps was to stop drinking so much beer there was a conscious decision yeah because Bob, beer out. watermelon and beer diet did not work yeah that made me not not thin yeah um well when me and flea and anthony only were on the watermelon coke meth diet that worked <laughs> that was a good diet 
What the heck is this notorious junkie band that has Bernie Bernstein and it says, what happens when you take the ex-singer of the Little Kings, hook them up with guys who have done time with Tex and the Horseheads, Blood on the Saddle, the Gutter Cats, Throw Rag, Legal Weapon, among others. It's Bernie Bernstein, Josh Blake, Billy something, and Tony Portillo. What the hell? Is Mike in it? Is Mike Mart in it? <laughs> no, but I just looked up Bernie to see how skinny he was. He was crazy skinny, and I'm seeing this notorious junkie band. I don't remember. He was the skinniest. You know, Lane Staley was pretty fucking skinny, too. Was, there was just too many skinny singers, Chuck, and I'm I'm a big-boned guy. No matter how skinny <laughs> I get, I'm big-boned. <laughs> well, there, there is something really cool about long, skinny arms and long, skinny fingers, but... No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't look like Lux Interior. Well, the other thing was everybody, all the, the iconic role models for uh, what a rock star is supposed to look like, right? I When I was a kid, I didn't know. I You know, you don't know. They're on stage. You can't tell how big they are. But then meeting them and doing drugs with some of them, uh, you realize how short all of them are. They're all really short. Mick Jagger's short. Uh, Iggy Pop is short. Like they're all really short, mm-hmm. so it's it's easy to be small when you're short, isn't it? I mean, I don't want to like. <laughs> it's easy to be small when you're short, <laughs> but I mean, it's isn't it be- harder if you're five ten? Isn't it harder to be thin than if you're five six? I would think. I don't know. I know it's easier to bulk up. Like you, you look bigger quicker if you lift weights and you're you're five six than if you're six oh, five. Oh man, I hadn't seen Trent Reznor since he made the Fragile. Like he had a little bit of I I don't know, like I I saw I saw Nine Inch Nails first show in L.A. I think was at the Stardust Ballroom, which is now Home Depot on Sunset and the Freeway, um, and he was skinny as a rail. Then he got skinnier. Well, you guys aren't even close to the skinniest rock and roll singer for a rock and roll band. In oh, the- Rick Rick Mau Mau. Rick Wilder, you knew it exactly <laughs> what I was talking about. That is beyond. That's beyond. How is he still alive? I don't know, man. He's a rock. What a rocker, man. His legs are like little pencils. You can fit like a size 10 ring on his wrist, (laughs) not on his finger. I mean, I saw pictures of him like 25 years ago, and I thought he was going to be dead any minute. No, he's still trucking. But but so get this. So Trent Reznor then, you know, comes to L.A. and then has that great success and then makes this amazing masterpiece called the fragile that nobody's ever really heard. Have you ever heard that album, Mike? It's a fucking amazing record. And so he makes that and he's like on, I think the same diet that I was on and he's very thin. I saw him at that time uh, with Carlo Nuzio and, uh, and then I didn't see him for 20 years because I went in a dark hole. He went in a whatever orbit he went into. And I, <laughs> I'm at Coachella and I see Mark Williams, an old friend of mine. I go, what the fuck are you doing here? I thought you retired and moved to Montana. He goes, I did. But after eight months, I couldn't take it up there anymore. I came back. And huh. so I said, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, I work with Nine Inch Nails. I said, is, nine, is that Coachella? I didn't you know, pay attention. I said, Nine Inch Nails is playing? And he, he's like, yeah. And so I went and saw him and I swear to God for about 10 minutes, I thought they got a new singer just talking about bulking up and working out. Yeah. And was. Exercise. I was like, that's the same guy I saw at the Stardust ballroom. That's impossible, but it's, but it is possible. 
It's very no, possible. Yeah, you you got to be you got to be able to concentrate. You got to be able to do. That's something he's taken very seriously. Yeah, I think everybody knows I don't take anything that serious. I couldn't do that day in day out, like lift weights and do all that stuff. Isn't yeah, that no. hard. Isn't that no, hard? I'd love to. I wish. I wish it was important to me. My wife would probably appreciate it. But you know, I all just, I needed to hear was the Herbalife guy died jogging on the beach. And I'm like, yeah, see, all that health food shit, it's not, it's not true. It's like all bullshit. What's happening, Heidi? Are you naked? Come in. You're naked? <laughs> oh, God, he, just got out of the sh- he just got out of the shower. He just why ran in here naked. Yeah, I, hope he, I hope he gets a diaper on before he poops. I'm yeah. a very poop obsessed person. That's the first thing I thought. Somebody needs to get a diaper on that kid unless he, po- in case he poops. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that or the, you know, it ends oh, up. Oh, that's a what I want to tell you. That's where this whole thing started an hour ago, Chuck. So I've realized that, you know, Elvis is a teenager now and he's, I'm sure you're going through that with bug. It's just like teenagers are weird. They have weird, they have weird teenagers. It's all of a sudden he was a little boy and then he's a teenager, just like in a, like a week. Yeah. So teenagers are always like, they're always coming at you with these weird questions. Like, you know, like he'll say, he'll say like, are you mad at me? I was like, no, I wasn't even thinking about it. What, why, what? And then, you know, he's just got that angst, that teenage angst. Right. So since I have the kids and, my partner might be in rehab. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, that's the first clue to everybody. <laughs> so, so I got three kids by myself. I started delegating, uh, like I just to Elvis. He does great with them, better than me. Like it's that's so that's how my that's how they used to raise kids when you had six or eight kids. There you go. They just, yep. they just here, this one's yours. This <laughs> one's yours. Yep. <laughs> like, I, I think, think that I'm yeah, telling I think you. after four, I think four and up, I think that happens even when it's just like six. No, I mean, but then Elvis is, but watch how it works. Elvis's teenage angst goes away. And I just idolizes Elvis. So it's just a, Perfect fit. So, so win-win. Pat- so I don't want to blow it. Like I, I don't think most I'll of my touch friends. For you. Most there of my go. friends don't listen to this. So so I'm getting a lot of out of boys and pats on the back from all my close friends about doing this, like having three kids and summer and whatever. But it's really actually when I figured out that Elvis helping, it's really easy. Today was easy. It's easy. Well, you know though, Bob, you really have done an amazing job of keeping it together. Well, just hold, I, just hold on, and and t- put one foot in front of the other. I mean, you you boohoo a lot of things, but you when the when it came down to it, you're showing us where the cow eats the cabbage. If you know what I'm saying, man, you, you you're you're doing it. Well, you, thanks, but but it really you did, is. You Elvis did okay, Bob. Elvis has helped a lot, and it and we don't have these weird, uncomfortable conversations. He said. Do you love, I think this thing about loving Sid or whatever, like, you know, do you love Sid more than me? I was like, no, I don't even, love is, love is something, we've been having a lot of talks about love, you know, a lot Uh of our family, our family's falling apart, so we're trying to talk about love a lot. And um, love to me is not, I don't know, it's not the way people think it is. It's just like goodness, it's just like good it's like i don't know connection or goodness bob it's commitment you know what 
It's commitment. Dedication, commitment, right. right? It's not emotion. It's devotion, not com- not emotion. That's one thing. You know, if you if you're committed to your family, and however, even if you're divorced, even if you're blow, you know, you get along with the other person and stuff. I've had to be changing. But doesn't love come, isn't love a misinterpreted word? Like it really is. Do your kids sometimes ask if you love the other one more, Mike? No, they don't. Because I don't <laughs> play. I don't. You don't play that game? Is that nah. what you Homie, don't play that. No, no, but you <laughs> homie, know what? Homie, but don't I, go there. But I think I what you're talking about, Bob, is that initial dopamine rush, the, chemi- the chemical love that happens in the first blushes of romantic love. That's what people are always trying to get. They don't get the when it switches over to the other, the here and now chemicals, the oxytocin and the endorphins and the serotonin that comes with devotion and belief and all that other stuff that when you build an actual relationship, no, it's not the same as when you first touch somebody or the first time you see them naked. That's that huge dopamine rush that everybody talks about when they talk about love. But that's that's the but beginning. they're also talking about feeling loved. And I, I think if you're not feeling loved, you're there's something wrong with you. I don't know. But let me tell you this. I came up with a new Forrest family motto. You want to hear it? It's a little take on the English motto, keep calm and carry on. Our motto has been for now for I think it's like 60 days now or 50 something days. Our motto has been fuck it, carry on. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, put that on a Fuck shirt it. and send it to school. Fuck it, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> you hit on something very important, and that is that how love changes. You know, it changes over a course of a time. And like I was saying earlier, I, uh, you know, I explained to at one time I had to explain to Devin that you know that listen, you're still mad at me. It's two years later. You know, you want me out of the kid's life, blah blah. blah. But you know what? I love you. I still love you. It's just in a different way. I love you like family, you know, and I'll always love you like family because it's, that's what we are now. You know, it doesn't matter if we're together as husband and wife, there's still love there. And this is a love, a family love. And and things change from that moment on, you know, and it's true. Fantastic. It it has been through the fire, but, but uh, it's been, like, I feel calm. Uh, yeah, here's the thing about drug addicts, Chuck. You know this. When things are chaotic and out of control and beyond your control and you feel, you know, most people feel scared and lost, I feel, like, purposeful. I feel like, right, boom, boom, boom. And I just treated everything like boom, 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 like carry on, carry on. It's just triage. It's It's a total triage, and we get good at that. We get good at when things go sideways. We're able to look at it and go, we need to do this, 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 and this. And yeah. we're comfortable there. You're right. This was pretty chaotic. And and doing that like short term, like what needs to be done tonight? What needs to be done tomorrow? Just that kind of short term, you know, carry on attitude keeps you away from catastrophizing or remorse or anger. Like, you know, I'd get angry, but. I didn't really have the time to be angry for too long. I think one night I talked to you, Chuck, for like an hour and that helped a lot. But and I was, I don't know, was I angry that night? I don't even remember what we talked about. I just unloaded to you that one night, right? The whole, everything that had gone on, right? Was I angry? I don't think I was angry. I, I don't know why I haven't been angry. You know, like, you it's just crazy. Wanted to be heard and you needed to hear yourself. And it was, it was beautiful i was so it was so cool that you trusted me to do that well you're a counselor 
Yeah. <laughs> but I was off the clock. You don't ask a mechanic to fix your car for free. That was a friend thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, well, I owe you 175 bucks. Or whatever, whatever. But I, do you take insurance? Do you take insurance? Do you take Kaiser? Do you take Never. Kaiser? No, I would. God, the last. <laughs> no, no, one of the things that came up. So this friend of mine, actually somebody you know, Tim Chapman, the great Tim Chapman. I hear that he has a Kaiser contract and we have Kaiser. So I call him and I, go, and I just told him to download him. And he said, yeah, 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 no problem and whatever. And then we go there and I said, so, you know, I had the insurance card. He goes, Bob, please spare me. Like I'm going to get like $95 a day. I don't care. Yeah. Right? They paid $95 for inpatient treatment. Is that the, the place on Carfax is- still? No, he, this was this was outpatient out in City of Orange. But oh. you know that psych house he has across the street? You ever no. been there? It's a beautiful no. house there. Anyways, but can you imagine? So that's another thing that I learned through all this. Insurance has decided not to pay again, just like before the Parity Act. They're just yeah. not paying for treatment. They're just not. Yeah. The public doesn't know it yet. And the unions and everybody and the politicians need to catch up. But insurance is not paying. No, but don't you think that that might be the answer is to have it be funded differently? Start over? Yeah, because insurance has has fucked it into a sense where, you know, it's a universe beyond understanding. I mean, I just had to renew my credentials, right? So I just did my 50 CEUs and all that stuff. And it was really weighing on me as to whether I should even re-up my credentials because this whole line of what everything. What is a CEU? Continuing education units, Mike. Right. We have to do Thank them. Thank you. HIV I'm asking for the people at home. Oh, yeah. I remember. I remember. Well, it's a, it, so you got to do 50 hours of classes every two years. It used to be years. you had to go somewhere. Now you just have to do it online. When you had to go somewhere, it was such a pain in the ass. Well, you know have what? to go to this. You have to get off work, go. You can do mine for me next time. Huh? <laughs> you what? can do mine for me next time because they suck. <laughs> do they have facial recognition on it? That's what somebody told me, where you can't just get up and leave it on and no, it. It, it depends on where you go. I know I know where to do it and I know most of it that I need to know. So Mike, I'm, do you really, get this? I'm really good so at testing. So we have testing. to listen to this shit that you either know or you don't want to know. That's what right. continuing education is. It's either right. stuff I already know or stuff that has nothing to do with treatment I don't want to know. And they got a machine that locks onto your face to yeah, make sure yeah, you're they, watching they it. Yeah, they know for- when you get up and it just stops playing the video. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so you come back. You come back and you think it's done and you just got to push a button and then you did the thing. And they're like, no, no, no. And it starts playing right where you walked away from. Fucking AI, man. AI. <laughs> be like, fucking, I'm sorry, you did not pass the class. because <laughs> What's cool is, is that you only get one CEU for every hour. So it's, right. it's supposed to be 50 hours, right? And then you got to pay all this money. And I'm with a couple different certification places. I'm with CCAP and Katie and CADTP. I like Katie. Katie's, uh, Katie's the best. Yeah, Katie's the best. Um, but Katie shut down for a while. So I had to go to CCAP. They lost their uh, 
their licensure for a while. And so I had to go to CCAP. So I've just kept it. So I've got is a lot of initials. Is there still a KDAC? Stuff. Is there still a KDAC? Yeah. Yes, there is now. Yeah. So there's the CAT-C, the CAD-C, and the S-U-D-C-C. All I, of wanna, which uh, I know there are some counselors. I know Patrick and, and the guys in Milwaukee listen. I want everyone to know, sometimes I do righteous things. So I fought KDAC <laughs> in 2003. And then I boosted Katie because I was like, I got all my employees to just fuck KDAC because KDAC uh, kept raising its prices, right? It was yeah, like $1,500. It, it's C, yeah, it's, C, it's CCAP, Bob, right? Kind of like Pearl Jam crazy. went after Ticketmaster. You're a. <laughs> yeah, I went after <laughs> KDAC. And I told the president, it was a woman at the time, I said, listen, I don't mind paying you if you're helping me. But the fact is, uh, Counselors' salaries have gone from $22 an hour to $19 an hour to $16 an hour. What the fuck do you think people are going to pay you $1,500 uh, every two years for? Your, our right. salaries are going down. Right. No, you it, need it, to fight against this MFT bullshit. But the, she was the, just, she didn't even know. Here's the thing the people who run KDAC didn't even know what I was talking about, Chuck. Kind of like that me we right were being. Now. We were being replaced by MFTs. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. There are too many abbreviations going on here. You lose me. <laughs> you know, like, MFTs okay. are you... marriage. Here's the thing. So <laughs> me and Chuck. I mean, I'm sure the five counselors that watch this. <laughs> we, this. Me and Chuck are certified chemical dependency counselors or drug and alcohol counselors certified by the state. Oh, yeah. Marriage and family therapists, I don't like, are we really doing marriage and family therapy with fucking fentanyl addicts who are going to die next week? They really need <laughs> marriage and family therapy. I've been saying that since they came on the scene in like 2003. Like, aren't you supposed to be like at the 90 day point? What the fuck are you in this meeting for? I remember the first time an MFT came to our staff meeting at Los Angeles. I was like, what is she here for? The fuck has she got to do with anything? Like the people, these are people that are inpatient treatment. Oh, well, MFTs are replacing psychologists. And I said, no, 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 no. That's the bullshit they're saying. MFTs are going to replace KDACs. Yeah, and psychologists so, and well, psychologists, but but they can't write prescriptions. So really, you know, you need somebody that can write a prescription to for symptoms because drug induced psychosis has symptoms that you know mimic psychiatric diagnoses so no, but we had real doctors i worked in a hospital right. chuck not some fucking house on fucking pico boulevard i, right. I worked in a right. hospital we that's had why, doctors we had nurses doctors, but yeah. we also had psychologists that made 50 dollars an hour and we had kdocs that made 22 dollars an hour all of a sudden these mfts come in making 28 dollars an hour they get rid of the 50 dollars psychologists in marginal us $22 counselors and our salaries go down. So I told the KDAC woman, like, this is bullshit. You should <laughs> fight the MFTs. We need to fight them. We need to push them out of treatment. Yes. <laughs> what? I get lost. I'm sorry. I get really lost. Let's put it in Mike terms. Okay, let me let me think for a second. Okay, Mike, the program director is the songwriter. Oh. The the Counselor is the guitar player. The MFT is the drummer. <laughs> well, the band's only as good as the drummer, so that doesn't apply. They they play. They play. Holy <laughs> they, fuck! They but, MFTs but, you know, equal drummers. That's the oh, fucking truth. Because the bass player gets along with everybody. <laughs>
Yeah, the bass players. Counselors good. would be the bass player, the guitar player, the guy who helps load the stuff. Well, that's actually the behavioral health techs. But they're also the ones. Yeah, the roadies spend- are the are the techs. The roadies are the techs. The sound <laughs> man is the lead tech. It's all equates. It all equates. We can break down rehab to music. I'm telling you. And it's thought, all important except for the fucking drummer. Did you did you think MFT stood for motherfucking therapist? Mike? I love it. Oh my god. It always gets back to drummers. For sure it always does. Yeah. All right. Good night, Pete Weiss. Good night. Uh, good night, John Boy. Good night, Mike Mark. Good night, everybody. Good night, Roddy. Good night, Elvin. Good night, Idris. Bye, guys. Have a great week. Be Baltimore. Okay, bye bye. Yay. Good night. Yay. See you later, Mike. Where is the lead button? God damn it.